You're listening to a live recording from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. Hi there, welcome. I'm so glad you're here with us. This is a great morning in Bend, Oregon. I don't know where you're watching, but um, as I was driving to church this morning, it was just sunny and people were out running and everything was lovely. And it, it just reminded me that spring can't be stopped, you know? No matter what else can happen, spring can't be stopped. And I'm so excited about it and excited about this message. I'm Bo Sturm Brady. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Westside. And um, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Pastor Steve kicked it off last week with the intro to the book. And this book is kind of a rough and tumble book. It's got a lot going on. And, and I found myself thinking, as I'm reading about the, the early church getting up on its little wobbly legs and getting going, I was wondering if we could gather up the apostles and the first early church members, let's say we just took the 120 that were in the upper room as the church was launched. If we could gather them all together and put them in our sanctuaries this morning or in our living rooms or wherever we're doing church, would, would church look like they thought it would look? Would, I, I mean, today the church or, I mean, Christianity numbers two, 0.18 billion people. And so the expansion can't be denied. The church has grown and grown and grown. But I wonder if the early church would think it was what they had given their lives for. I just wonder about that. And so we, we look at these things with the church about, is the church successful? Is it doing its job? Is it what it's supposed to be? And a lot of times we look at it in terms of expansion. Like if we're growing, 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 then we must be doing it right. That, I mean, I've, I've heard the term healthy things grow, which is true, but so do unhealthy things. So it's interesting to look at this. And right now in our culture, in our world, we are experiencing a lot of contraction. There was a, a time when my husband told me about a company he had worked with and he said they contracted from a hundred employees to 30. And I thought that is a really interesting way to say they shrunk. I mean, they, they kind of failed. And so we look at contraction, getting smaller, being pressed. We look at it mostly as a sign that things aren't going well. And it's hard. You may, my goal is never, I want to, I want to contract my checkbook from a hundred dollars to three, or I want to, I want to contract my team from 50 people to four people. We don't want to shrink. That's not our goal. And, but so often in the Bible, God uses contraction to expand. Last week, Pastor Steve talked about how God <clears throat> let us be scattered in order, in order to gather. He also uses contraction to help us expand. Sometimes he breaks in order to build, or sometimes he just uses the breaking in order to build something stronger. Uh, a baby grows safely in a womb, and the womb expands and expands and expands until the mom thinks she will explode. I am speaking from experience here. Um, until the mom thinks she's going to explode, and then when it's time, it starts to contract, contract, contract. And I'm guessing the baby would be more comfortable staying in the womb. I'm guessing that's a pretty cozy environment for the baby at that point. And I even remember at one point with my first baby, 
I was in labor a long time, and I had been in transition, the worst part of labor, for a really long time. And I remember, I don't, I don't remember what I was saying or thinking, but I remember when my doctor came in to check on me, he asked the nurse, how's she doing? And the nurse said, she just really politely asked to go home. And I remember thinking, I just want to go home. I just want to, I'm done. This was a bad idea. I, who wants a baby? They're hard to raise. Who even wants a baby? <laughs> but the contraction is the only way way to get to new life. And so the baby can't stay in the womb forever. And God uses contraction, even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's unpleasant, even though even as the baby comes screaming into this world that is bright and noisy and probably really, really annoying feeling to that baby, this is still the way of Jesus for us to move into discomfort in order to experience new life. And if there's one thing, the middle section of the book of Acts shows us it's this principle in action. This part of church history, I think, can be really difficult to understand or relate to. Sometimes it makes me uncomfortable even to read it because I feel so removed from that kind of life. We in America prize religious freedom like more than almost anything. Our nation is built on it. We are built on freedom of religion and freedom from religion. We prize religious freedom and we, I think, subconsciously connect our ability to be free in America with our success as a church. We think that if our freedom is threatened, it will destroy us. That'll be the end of it. And really, the book of Acts begs to differ. It, that is not, they did not enjoy religious freedom. They enjoyed, however, the greatest expansion that the church has ever seen. They, in the midst of persecution, in the midst of being scattered, we see these things waking up and coming to life in the church. We see the church growing into maturity and into effectiveness. And it is a beautiful thing, but it's a beautiful thing mixed in with all the pain. And so, Quick review of the book of Acts. We've got the church happening in the upper room. They join together. They wait, which is the worst. I hate waiting. I'm the worst at it. And so this particular season in our culture is not awesome for me, <laughs> but it's we're going to make it through it. But they were waiting, and they didn't know what for. But then the Holy Spirit shows up, and and they are lit on fire. And Peter, it, it, I love how in the upper room, there's such a work of the Holy spirit that it pushes them out and they spill out into the streets. That's always how it's supposed to be. We're always supposed to spill out into our world. And <clears throat> so they start, Peter preaches a sermon, 3000 people come to know Jesus that day, come to follow Jesus that day. And then the church just begins to expand, expand, expand. And it looks really cool. There is this, this, this really important part where they are adding numbers. They're looking successful, but also in the midst of it all, they're losing some of what they had held as their firm belief. There are some walls that are starting to fall. There are some things that they've always done as good Jews that are starting to be done, like they're, they're, they're done with them. And 
And so their, their minds are opening, their numbers are expanding, but also I think their comfort level, it looks that they are having to do some wrestling. Their comfort level is contracting. They're becoming something new. It, it, it's beautiful and messy and difficult, but it represents the expansion of the kingdom and not just it's not just numerical here. It's also in ideology. They're, they're becoming, uh, understa they're understanding that more people are included than they ever thought. They, we see it with Peter and Cornelius, that, that the whole world is being welcomed in now to this new faith. In chapter 9, Saul is converted and goes from the persecution of the church to evangelist of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this turns everything upside down. In Acts 9, 22, it says, Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This looks really cool, yeah? This looks like a success story. Like the, the church just got a superstar. But then the very next verse says this, After considerable time had elapsed, the Jews conspired to put Saul out of the way by slaying him. That's bad news. So Saul is lowered down in a basket through the city's wall and he flees but then look what happens next and when he had arrived in Jerusalem he tried to associate himself with the disciples but they were all afraid of him for they did not believe he really was a disciple and this always happens when we start to grow we always start to get a little bit worried about how many people are we going to let into this thing and I'm reading a book right now about Instagram, the app, and how they developed and how they grew. And you know, when they sold to Facebook for $1 billion, they were just a tight-knit little group of 13 employees. And then the rest of the book is about how connecting to Facebook's masses and their, all their employees and all their stuff caused the Instagram team to need to protect who they were and protect their brand. And we get that way in Christianity. We have become that way. I've got to just protect my brand. I want to protect what I think is the truth here. I don't want to let anyone in that doesn't seem to match my code. And they're afraid of Paul in this moment. This happens with fast growth. We start to wonder who's really who and who's in it for the right reasons and who is a pretender? And it turns out one of the great revealers of our motivation is persecution, hardship. It reveals who's in. It reveals what we really believe. And I even, I even think uh, this pandemic has been something of an equalizer where we're all experiencing so much of the same things, certainly not identically, but we're, we're experiencing a lot of the same things. And during this time, historically, the church begin to undergo great persecution, which scatters them um, from home base in Jerusalem to all over the place. And if you'll remember, this was part of the last words of Jesus. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. So whether it feels like persecution or opportunity, the early church is making the dreams of Jesus come true. He, they are moving into the world and not away from it. Instead of building a little building for everyone to come to, they're moving out into their neighborhoods and out into their streets. And it's a really significant change for them. And then in chapter 10, we come on this story of, of Peter and Cornelius. And God sends an angel to Cornelius who's a good Roman citizen. He's a Gentile. He is... Um, He's a good giver to the poor, and he prays to God. He prays to God as he knows him to be. And an angel comes to Cornelius, and he says, God has seen your offering, and he has heard your prayer. 
And I think that is prophetic to somebody watching right now. God has seen your gift. He has seen your giving. He has seen your sacrifice. And he is hearing your prayer right now. And he has not forgotten you. He sees you. And he knows you. And he loves you. And he's getting ready to expand you through this season of contraction. And so Cornelius hears this and begins to prepare for what God is going to do in him. And then Peter, in a whole other place, is having this dream where God opens up the heavens and dumps all these animals out that he's not supposed to eat. And he says, kill and eat. And this is, it, it's significant in the way that God is saying, I'm going to expand. This movement is going to include the whole world. We're going to throw the doors of the kingdom wide open. And so Peter it starts to understand our worldview is changing. Cornelius starts to understand I'm getting moved into a system of belonging I haven't been in before. And then their paths come together and they intersect on a timeline. And Cornelius <clears throat> is, the, excuse me, is the first Gentile convert in the church. Cornelius is one that led to the 2.18 billion people who follow Jesus now. And it is a beautiful story. And in Acts 14, then we see Paul and Barnabas go through this roller coaster of a ministry trip. It is remarkable to read this whole chapter and see the ups and downs. They go to a city called Lystra and Paul is stoned there and left for dead, like stoned. Sometimes we read this stuff like it's a fairy tale, but they go through a lot to, to get the gospel out. And so they get up and they flee and they go to another city called Derby and they do preaching there. And you know what they do right after? It says they preach the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they return to Lystra, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Why would they go back to Lystra, the place they just got stoned? That's not good. That doesn't make good sense. That's not what you do. But then they say this, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I am fascinating with that sentence and a little bit afraid of it, if I'm being honest. It's through much hardship that we enter the kingdom of God. I was looking at that word hardship. It's the Greek word thalipsis, and it means a pressing. It's a pressing that like when you crush an olive to get olive oil or when you crush grapes to get wine, it's a pressing that produces something. Uh, it's the contraction. It's the pressing of a womb that produces a baby. It's all of the, the, the agony and the suffering and the things that we go to through in order to get to something better. It, it's a beautiful word and a difficult word. And the English translation of thalipsis is actually tribulation. And then, so it's through this pressing that we enter into the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the Greek word for citadel. A citadel is the center of authority, the center place of power. It's the inner throne room. It's the oval office. It's the, it's the inner sanctum. It's where you go to get to the big guy. It's where you go to get to the head honcho. You got to get into the citadel. And so 
in order to get to the heart of God's purpose and power, Paul is telling us we've got to go through something to get there. We've got to go through some pressing in order to really get there. And that doesn't sound fair to me. That doesn't necessarily sound like a good God that would say, you know, you don't get to me unless you run a gauntlet. You don't get to me unless you get through a pandemic first. I don't think that that's what this means. I think that the citadel, the door to God's throne room, the door to his power and his presence is always available to us. I think it's us that get far from being able to see it when we can reproduce it in a thousand other ways until we need the real thing. I think that we tend to build our own little kingdoms rather than do the work of getting a God's. I remember in um, probably 2011, my husband and I were invited to Washington, D.C. He had been diagnosed with ALS a year or two before that. And um, we were invited to Washington, D.C. to lobby to Congress for money for ALS funding for research. And we went there, and I remember just, I mean, ALS is a fairly rare disease. And so you don't often run into somebody who has it. But in this place, there were so many people with ALS all gathered to storm the gates of the government and say, please. Please see us, notice us, we need funding. And so we, there was this one day where it was time to go to Capitol Hill and appeal to our congressmen men and women, and we loaded these buses with, with men and women who were in wheelchairs, who had walkers, who, some of them on oxygen, some of them like very near the end of their life, and this was one of the last things they were going to do with their energy and their time and their muscles. And... That day, President Obama happened to be doing a press conference out on the lawn, and so they had moved the security way, way back. The security, we had to, we had to park far, far from the Capitol, and we had to walk a long ways. And it's this parade of wheelchairs and caregivers and sick people trying to make their way to the citadel. We're trying to get there. And we finally get there and we go through all the security and we spend our whole day appealing to Congress people and their aides and, and trying to convince them that this really is something we need money for. And at the end of the day, I was as tired as I have ever been, exhausted. But it was amazing. It was incredible. And we got the funding. But I was thinking of it later that night in our hotel room. We had been to Washington, D.C. two times before that. In fact, it's one of my favorite cities. Um, and we had gone, and we had gone to some museums, and we had gone to some great restaurants, and we had seen sites, and we had seen memorials and monuments. But we had never once gone to see our congressman. He was there. But we had never worked to go see him. We never would have tried. It wasn't worth our time. There were other better things to see. We didn't need anything from him. And so there was no reason for us to push into the citadel, to push into the power. But when we needed them, we were willing to do just about anything. When we were pressed by a disease, it pushed us into the heart of power. And I am telling you, I believe that is what God will use suffering in our life to do. He will use it to accomplish these things in us that push us more into his presence than we have ever, ever been before. I, I'm not only sure of it, I think my life is proof of it. And 
I think we can choose not to. I don't think it automatically pushes us there. I think we can choose to let it push us into bitterness or resentment or another, or another way of thinking or maybe God isn't who I thought he was. But I think if we let it, suffering, persecution, and can we just mention one thing real quick? This pandemic is not persecution. This is a hardship, yes. It's suffering for sure, but it is not persecution. This is not something launched at the church or at a specific people. They're not trying to shut us down. This is just hardship, but hardship can be effective and work in us. So three truths about tribulation. I'm sure there are a ton of truths about them, but three that have boiled down in my life to always prove true. The first one is that tribulation suffering is temporary. It's not going to last forever, even when it feels like it is. It, it, it feels like we're never going to see normal again, like we're never going to see the light of day again, like we're never going to worship in this sanctuary together again. But it is temporary. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, so even, even if hardship leads to death, it's temporary. When you follow Jesus, that hardship is temporary. He welcomes you home. So 2 Corinthians 4, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Paul is writing this, and his light and momentary troubles are beatings, shipwrecks, persecution, martyrdom. So our troubles are light and momentary, and they are achieving something in us. The second thing we want to know about suffering is it's not punishment. It's not, and as much as people want to make God the bad guy in all of these ways and in all of these things that run into our lives— I don't believe that about God. I don't believe God causes ALS. I don't believe God does these things. In fact, I read a tweet this week by Jonathan Merritt that I really liked responding to the, the outcry that I've heard recently from some Christians that this is God's punishment. He said, can you imagine a God so unimaginative that literally the only and best way he could think of to teach us a lesson was to send a pandemic to suffocate grandmothers and asthmatics? Hard pass. And I believe it. God doesn't cause our suffering, but he promises to be in it with us. He promises to go in it with us and to produce something in us because of it. And that leads me to number three. Suffering produces. It just does. It produces something in us. Suffering is a workhorse in our life if we'll let it be. Listen to Romans 5.1. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes, I love that. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I love to rejoice in healing and prosperity and expansion and all of the things that I, I associate with being the goodness of God. But then he says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We let suffering produce in us, or we run from it. I think those are our two options. In our fight with ALS, suffering produced compassion and creative generosity and deeper trust in Jesus and inroads into entirely new communities that we wouldn't have even known about or cared about before. 
And so I think that when we look at it, in fact, I remember a time when our fight was really hard going for a run. And as I would do the river trail, I would say as I would run, suffering produces, suffering produces, suffering produces. I know that it does. This is something that's important. Just because suffering produces doesn't mean it takes away the pain. It's not usually like one for one. Like the pain of having a baby is so intense and so excruciating, but as soon as the baby's there, you pretty much forget about it. And you're like, when can I do that again? This is the best thing I've ever done. But that is not how all suffering is. And sometimes when we talk about suffering producing, it's like we're trying to negate the pain in someone's life. Well, look at all that God's doing in you because of this. No, the, the suffering isn't a trade for your pain. It's just a standalone beauty that comes in and does its work because God is good like that. He's good at, at doing beauty in us. He's good, at, he's good at doing things in our lives that are valuable, even when we're going through the hardest thing. So what are we doing now as a church? Where are we at with the pressing? What is happening in the church that we've known and loved? I see it growing our hearts to understand others. I see it expanding our ability and creativity to reach our community. I see it waking us up to the fact that nothing can stop the expansion of the kingdom of God, not a tiny little virus germ and not a worldwide shutdown. We are learning what we're made of right now, friends. And if we'll let it press us into his heart, things are going to look different in amazing ways when we come out of this. If we let us move it into the heart of God, into the citadel, into, the, into his power and fullness and purpose, we're going to look different when we come out of this in all good ways. So I would love for you to have a little small group wherever you are right now, either with the people you're watching with or if you're on your own, get out a journal or your laptop. And I would like you to answer two really big questions. The first one is, in what ways do you feel like you are being pressed right now? In what ways do you feel contractions in your life right now? And the second one is, are there any ways that God might be using this to expand your reach into the world. Are there any ways? And I say might because I want you to be able to dream. And so you might not have all the right answers right now. Make some up. What, what might God be doing? What crazy thing could come from this? If the pressing of 120 people in the upper room produced 2.18 billion people in 2020... What might this pressing produce in us? I want to pray with you and then close this with a little benediction. Jesus, we love you and we're so thankful that you have not left us to figure this out on our own, that you're here with us in the pain and you're here with us in the pressing and you're here with us in job loss and you're here with us in uncertainty and you're here with us in all of the question marks. We thank you. We recognize that you are here with us and we submit to the work that you're doing in our lives and in your church. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Here's a benediction out of Acts also. He sets the boundaries of people and nations 
determining their appointed times in history. He has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him, and find him. For he is the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. May God go with you today into your world. May he press you into his purpose in a whole new way. And we will see you right back here next weekend.